McKinley Wright from the logo. Oh, got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. This is the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm Henry Chisholm, and we're doing something weird today, and I'm going to explain that to you right now. So, I was in the process of getting this uh, episode of the podcast posted when uh, something pretty cool happened on Twitter, and that is that a few of the Buffs recruits were talking to some recruits from uh, Arizona State, and things got pretty heated and so I figured why not throw on a couple more minutes breaking down what happened there because I'm not sure I'm going to get to any more buffs talk until after we record the draft pod tomorrow and by Friday this will all have cooled down and seems like the right opportunity. So it's about nine o'clock now after all of this uh, died down on Twitter and it was pretty awesome. So basically here's what happened. Uh, it started with uh, I think was it Carson Lee? These these Twitter threads are long and long. Oh, it started with Keith Miller, the commit to Colorado wide receiver, uh, committed in June. He'll be here. I actually don't know if he's going to be here for the spring, but he'll definitely be here by fall next year. And he tweeted, "Hey, uh, at Brendan Rice and at Carson Lee, this weekend we're the recruiting coordinators. You know, that's kind of been like the thing that they've been doing. They've been all over Twitter, pulling in recruits, talking up the school, doing all that kind of stuff." Um, it's been a lot of fun. They've been like great ambassadors. Uh, Brendan Rice, you know, we've followed here on the podcast, his whole recruiting path uh, from Michigan to potentially Arizona State to uh, Colorado. And uh, he committed about a month ago now, maybe a little less than a month ago, less than a month ago, probably like two, three weeks ago. And uh, Carson Lee, offensive lineman, I think from Cherry Creek. He's a center, yeah, from Cherry Creek. And uh, another part of this 2019 recruiting class that's really exciting. Um, but here's what happened. So, uh, Chad Johnson Jr., uh, you may recognize the name Chad Johnson, uh, son of, uh, former Bengal Chad Johnson, uh, and then also formerly Chad Ochocinco Chad Johnson. Uh, he, or at least his son went to, uh, high school in California, committed to Arizona State, and he responded, Basically, let's be like Chad over in Tempe. And then uh, things kind of spiraled. Um, and it got a little more heated as we went along. Um, it, it turned into mostly Keith and uh, Chad talking. And, you know, it's typical stuff. Like, uh, you know, like Chad said, chill, nobody would go to Colorado unless the other schools don't want you. Keith clapped back, said, you you had four offers, bro. Stop trying to clout chase. We not talking. We'll see y'all next year. Um, then there was a debate about how many scholarships he had. There was a debate about whose stats were better. There was a debate about all sorts of different stuff. 
and it was pretty awesome. You know, Carson Lee chimed in with the the easy response, 34-31, which is the score that Colorado beat Arizona State by, by the way. Um, All sorts of stuff everywhere. Um, Brendan said, uh, Brendan tried to, like, cool it down. Um, at one point, I, I like early on, I asked quote tweet and said something like, you know, uh, this, this like Brendan Rice, Chad Johnson, Jr. Beef is going to be fun to watch something like that. And he said, no, nah, it's not beef. I don't beef. I do my thing. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, then he posted like the, why can't we be friends gif with, uh, a bunch of villains holding hands. And, uh, Chad said, you chose the wrong college. We enemies till the league. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, the takeaway there, though, for me at least, is that it's just so exciting to be following recruiting right now. You know, the way the season's gone, just seeing this kind of stuff happening, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Like, harmless stuff, obviously. Like, if it got dark, then that's one thing. But, you know, this is going to be so much fun watching Brendan Rice, uh, Keith Miller, too, obviously, go back and forth with Chad Johnson. That's uh, going to be four years, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, the buffs don't really have a rival right now. I mean, you have Colorado state an in-state school, but that's, that's not, can you really call it a rivalry when they should be winning every time? Um, Nebraska, sure. But also they don't play all that often. They have a few years off, um, and they're in a different conference, like definitely a rivalry, but it's not one that we're going to get to see much of for at least a couple more years. Arizona State has that potential, especially with stuff like this happening. If, if all these guys turn out to be who we think that they're going to be, it'd be a lot of fun to see how this can play out. I mean, obviously playing every year in the Pac-12 South, this year, close game, first Buffs road win in 17 seasons was in Tempe. Um, there's still more tweets coming in, by the way. Um, you know, this stuff is just so much fun, and it, it's adding a little bit more life to to the part of the season that feels kind of lifeless uh this weekend stanford obviously a bunch of recruits coming in you have a shot clayton coming in uh all three of these guys obviously carson uh brendan and keith are all going to be in town for that game and uh it's gonna be a lot of fun it's a lot of fun it's it's nice to see this kind of energy um coming from the guys who are coming in you know with with the way that things have kind of turned and uh how the season has kind of gotten disappointing. You could see how it could have, uh, it, it could have turned them off. Oh, I just found one where Chad said, you're trash. I get double teamed every game when, uh, Keith brought up the stats. Oh, and another from Brendan right there. Uh, it was a retweet. It's a retweet. Um, <laughs> I turned on my Twitter notifications to make sure that I could cover this properly. Uh, yeah, if you want to see it, Definitely go check him out. Um, oh, Brendan Lewis. Um, chiming in. The quarterback commit. Uh, just a bunch of exclamation points. Uh, because Brendan tweeted, Buff Nation, nothing else. All smoke. Who's next? And tag Keith Carson and the other Brendan in it. This is... Uh, oh, and Darren Cheverini just like that. I love the internet. I love the internet so much. All this stuff just happening live. This is what Twitter is supposed to be. You know, that's that's why, like, the NBA is the best league. Like, getting to follow all this kind of stuff up there. But then, I don't know. It's nice to see this kind of fun coming to Boulder. Um, you know what happened? You know what makes this so cool? It's it's that 
Keith tweeted whatever he tweeted. You get the response from Chad. All of this kind of goes back and forth. And then it's not just Keith. You know, Brendan chimes in. Other Brendan chimes in. Uh, the 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 offensive line recruit Carson Lee. He chimes in. You know, you know who we heard from from Arizona State? It, just Chad Johnson Jr. Nobody else. And that's this change to the program. That's this bond that's being created. That's the culture shift that Mel Tucker has been talking about. That's what's coming into this program, um, you know, next season, but also starting this weekend on the sidelines. They're going to be out there recruiting. They're going to be out there pulling guys in. It's exciting. It's exciting. You want a rivalry? This is where rivalries come from. You think that they're going to push the team together? Well, look at what just happened on Twitter. Okay, so this whole thing is kind of just ongoing. It's probably going to keep going for a while. Brendan just tweeted again, like, after Chad said, well, we didn't even want you here, and you wanted to be here, and he's like, well, no, I didn't. It's it's, gonna, it's just going to keep going. It's going to keep going for years. I'm excited. I'm excited for this to hopefully build into some sort of rivalry. Um, I think that that's about all I have to say. So I'm going to throw it to me starting the actual podcast now, and... Uh, I will uh, talk to you guys all, I guess right now, but then also not until Friday about the buffs after the draft pod tomorrow. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Here's me. Welcome into the DNVR buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm your host, Henry Chisholm, and uh, it's been a long day. So I just sat down and uh, grabbed myself a whiskey glass and a two liter of Pepsi, and I will be... uh, pouring myself small glasses of Pepsi so that I can keep it contained and not just like spiral into drinking this whole thing tonight. I usually don't buy these for myself. Uh, And I'm going to talk to you guys about Stanford. Uh, I've been watching a bunch of Stanford and reading a lot about Stanford and uh, I don't know, thinking about Stanford. Oh, talking to uh, football players about Stanford. That's probably more interesting than my own thoughts. And uh, we're going to start talking about the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, potentially the weirdest mascot in college football, the Cardinal, which uh, I guess is a tree that sometimes they decorate. Uh, Haven't dug too deep into that. We'll do that later in the week and make fun of them. Um, But I'm excited to get into all of this with you guys today. So that's kind of the plan. Obviously, I was up in Boulder again this morning. Uh, Had a chance to talk to Dylan Thomas, who got his first real college football reps on Saturday and he was a breath of fresh air, you know, you know, talking to people around this program. I, I don't think morale is too far down, but you can tell, I mean, people aren't as bubbly. It's, it's a very serious tense. You know, it's easy to laugh and joke when you're winning, um, tougher when you're losing. And, uh, he was kind of a breath of fresh air. He was obviously excited to get in that game. And, uh, I'm excited to talk to you guys about him, about Tyson Summers, who we heard from today, um, about, uh, Stanford, and uh, I think we got a couple comments. I took a brief look, and I think they're both about uh, our new favorite guy, Antonio Alfano. Well, maybe not Sonny Rain's favorite, but a lot of our favorite guys, uh, San- S- Antonio Alfano. And uh, that's kind of what we're looking at today. Um, before we do that, I should tell you more about Drift Car Sharing. It's an incredible service. It's something that we should all be taking advantage of. Um Basically, here's how it works. Um, and I'll, here, well, let's actually go step by step through my plan for next week. So, next Wednesday, a week from right now, I will be on a plane back to Montana. Uh, before that, though, I will be in Boulder and I will be in Boulder uh, talking to football players like I do. Um, but then 
I will drive straight from Boulder on some road that I'm guaranteeing you right now I've never driven on before. Whatever goes between Denver International Airport and the city of Boulder. Uh, hopefully I don't get lost. Um, the point is, I, I will drive to Boulder. I will go to the drift car sharing lot. Um, I will have like checked in before, registered my car, um, get there, say like, hey, it's me, said I was going to be here on the app. And uh, they'll say, oh, yeah, you did. And then they'll take my car and I'll give them my keys. And then I'll jump on a shuttle and I will go to the airport, which is another five minutes away. And uh, that's pretty much it. I'll go back to Montana. I'll go watch some football up there. I'll go see my family up there. Uh, The Lady Grizz basketball team plays Arizona. And uh, I'll go watch that game. And then after that game, I have to sprint to the airport in Missoula, fly back here and... uh, then I'll get back to my car at like eight o'clock that night and I'll walk in and be like, Hey, it's me, Henry. And I was here before. And so, uh, then they'll say here, here's your car. And then a couple days later, they'll send me a bunch of money and my car will be clean and it's perfect because I didn't pay for parking and they gave me money. It's a great service. No stress at all. Um, and I'm really excited. I'm excited for the money too, because, uh, my parents are buying my flight home. So it's, it's like getting paid to go on vacation. Uh, so that's it. If you want more info, go to drivedrift.com. It's a blast. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a stretch. It is super good. It's, it, it makes sense to take advantage of it. And I hope you guys all do. And I know I will be because I'm going to make myself clean my car. It's bi-week for everybody. I'll have some time. Um, okay football and where do we start let's jump back in about dylan thomas so setting the stage the buff starting cornerback we all know going into the season the number one delrick abrams the senior uh talented guy somebody i think could have a shot in the nfl i think he's probably a camp invite and uh he'll have a chance to prove himself good cornerback behind him uh who did we think was the number two i think it was makai blackman first that's right. After he kind of tore up camp, a little bit undersized. You know, he was solid. Was he perfect? No. But uh, for for a young guy, he did a lot of things that you'd like. And there was a lot to build on as well. And feeling good about the future. Then, after him, the third cornerback was Chris Miller. Uh, another young guy. Another guy who has a lot of potential. But both Makai Blackman and Chris Miller are done for the season with injuries. And so, that means you have to go to your fourth corner. Uh, KJ Trujillo, who famously is 18 and small and uh, playing college football in the Pac-12. He looked really good, but then also he got hurt and it was not the kind of injury that we got told about. It was one of those secret college football injuries that only happen in college football where just all of a sudden day of the game, somebody can't go and you're like, oh, you have a brace on your knee. What's that about? Uh, that was KJ Trujillo this weekend, which means they got to their let's see, two, three, four. Their fifth cornerback um, was the starter, and that was Tariq Luckett. Uh, Tariq Luckett, you may remember, was a receiver. Uh, let's see, that would be three months ago. No, two months ago. He was a receiver two months ago. Uh, no, three months ago. There we go. That's a lot better. Um, and then he became a cornerback because there was almost no depth. Another young guy. And he was on the field. And that means they also had to use their number six corner, who was Dylan Thomas, uh, another young guy and a guy who I talked to today. Uh, He had a bunch of interesting stuff to say. Uh, Hearing about what it's like being Dylan Thomas is is just kind of strange. 
because he he said it was pretty out of the blue for him too. So he he went into the game when Delrick Abrams went down with an injury uh, earlier in the game, played 15, 20 snaps, probably somewhere right around there. And honestly, looked pretty good. For a couple converted receivers, he and uh, Tariq Luckett can't complain. Can't complain about their performance at all. And now it's kind of putting the buffs in an interesting spot. You know, you, you look through their roster at cornerback going forward Makai Blackman somebody who I've been high on somebody who I think can do a lot of good things Chris Miller is up next KJ Trujillo I think could be the best of the bunch um he he's an incredible talent I'll tell you right now I will guarantee it right now and I think I did this on last week's podcast too it might be just like a weekly segment going forward um and we're just going to call it like Henry says KJ Trujillo is an NFL player and uh, right now is that time this week that we're going to say that. And so I'm going to say it. He is going to the NFL. He is that good. Um, and then you also have these two new guys, Tariq Luckett and Dylan Thompson. Looked good. Looked good, especially when you consider that they were both receivers a couple months ago. That's a bunch of freshmen and sophomores. Uh, I guess a couple juniors. One junior? Yeah. Uh, that, that'll be asked to kind of carry the group next year and I think that that could actually be a strength next season which again is crazy we've talked about this a lot with Antonio Alfano and that defensive line but that defensive line we were terrified of it going to the season you had Mustafa Johnson and who else no idea nine guys rotating in can three of them play can two of them play we I, I that was something that I was scared of. The cornerbacks were the same way. Now all of a sudden we're looking at both of those two groups for next year and saying, "Huh, huh, are these are these elite Pac-12 position groups?" I think the defensive line with Mustafa Johnson back, with Antonio Alfano there, with Jalen Sammy in between them. I think that you have to say that that's an elite Pac-12 group. Cornerbacks, they need to prove it. They need to prove it before I go that far, but. I I think there's a real chance, and that's not anything that I would have expected a couple of months ago. So this week, like I said, Dylan Thomas gets on the field, plays some snaps. It was pretty new to him. He didn't really know. It was just all of a sudden, gets tapped on the back and says, you're in. And I don't know. He, he was excited. I think that that was the biggest takeaway is I just had a blast talking with him about it. I didn't really pull a whole bunch of details out of him. I don't think there was too much that went into the whole story outside of he got on that college football field and was incredibly excited. Uh, there were a couple little things that I picked up on. Like he said, you know, the first thing I noticed is that it wasn't all that fast. You know, I, I thought that getting out there, it would feel a lot faster and that's what you want to hear. And again, talking to him, he looks like a cornerback. It wasn't until I like took a step back from him at the end of the interview uh, and like looked at him and was like, wow, he really does have a couple inches on me. His arms go down to his knees. He's, he's built like a real cornerback. I'm high on him as well, and I want that to be on record. I might save this clip for next fall when I say I called it. Um, but talking to him, very smart guy. Uh, you can tell that he's picking up on things. He said that KJ's really been a help. Uh, he said that he had a lot of good things to say about KJ as well, um, how he's developed, what he's learned. I talked a lot about the meetings, you know, going in with Chris Miller was somebody who really took him under his wing. Um, uh, you know, they had like the extra cornerback meetings during fall camp to kind of get him caught up. And now he feels like he's contributing in those extra meetings, not just 
being the guy who's being taught everything. They said it was kind of tough learning the terminology. It was kind of tough learning his new responsibilities as a cornerback, but he feels like he's in a good spot. And, and, and I asked him, like, I didn't even say like, you know, I thought you looked pretty good out there. How'd you feel? I just said, how do you think you played? And he said, I actually feel like I played pretty well. And I, I, I was like, yeah, you definitely did. You should feel that way. Uh, it's, it's exciting. It's really exciting. And at this point in the season, you know, bowl eligibility is still out there, but it's not something that we're really hung up on, or at least I hope you aren't hung up on. Please don't get your hopes up. Please. It's probably not going to happen, but they, uh, it is fun to see what these young guys can do. I hope we do get to see more Dylan Thomas. I say that as like a standalone statement, not saying like, oh, I hope something bad happens to somebody in front of him and he gets another opportunity because that's not it. That's not it at all. Um, But that is kind of the path they would have to be to see more of him, which is disappointing because I had fun watching him play. I had fun talking to him and I want to see what happens. I want to see what happens. Uh, It's kind of getting to the point in the season where it, it feels like they're just a bunch of toys that are waiting to be unwrapped whether it's Dylan Thomas or Tariq Luckett Mark Perry a few weeks ago or uh I mean Jaron Mangum had a bigger game we we kind of knew what he was but he was the guy this week and that was fun uh, KJ obviously was that same way he just came out of nowhere uh, and that's the point that we're at uh, at this point in the season you know it's just is there anything that gets you excited for the future and actually asked Tyson Summers that today. Um, it's always a tough question. And I did say, you know, I know you can't like, I, obviously you're looking one week at a time, just trying to get the win. But when you do get to see guys like Dylan Thomas out there, does, does that get you excited for the future? Just seeing all these new faces out there doing those things. And he said, you know, I'm just trying to win a game this weekend. That's all I'm trying to do. I don't have time for anything else, but I mean, Obviously, that group has something special going forward, and I'm, I'm excited to see what it is. And I was like, okay, that's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, I think I think we, we heard a little bit from Tyson Summers about Dylan Thomas, again, praising kind of the attention to detail in the meeting rooms. Same things we kind of heard from KJ Trujillo. It seems like that's a pretty healthy environment. And uh, I still haven't actually met the uh, defensive backs coach, but... I would love to. I, I I really like what I'm seeing. Uh, I, w- I would also like to talk to Tariq Luckett. I tried to talk to him today. I wanted to get both of them, but he had a lift right after practice and wasn't available, which is uh, disappointing because I've actually tried to talk to him a couple of times, but he just has a packed schedule. You know, that's what young students have uh, that some of the older guys don't. And that's why we get to talk to the older guys a lot more. Uh, was nice being able to actually talk to Dylan Thomas though. Um, liked him. I liked him. I liked his attitude, but again, I think that I would also like to meet Tavares Tillman, that defensive backs coach, just to see how, how, where does all this come from? Tyson Summers also made another interesting point. Um, talking about these cornerbacks saying, you know, Tariq Luckett, uh, uh, Dylan Thomas, these are both guys who were in those early, early, uh, I can't remember what the exact phrase is, 
Um, it's, it's the practices that they have just for the young guys, uh, the development period. That's what they call it. Development period, Mondays and Tuesdays, where they just focus on getting the young guys in, trying to get them better at football and focus less on game planning for that week. Um, the way he phrased it made me think that they had emphasized that more than he had seen at other places he had coached in the past. I, I don't know if that's necessarily like true, and I got down to the parking lot after the after he was at the podium today and we were all asking questions and realized, like, why didn't I ask? Why didn't I ask um, about that, whether whether they're doing more development than he's seen at, you know, Georgia last year, Colorado State when he was up there. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask him that next time we get a chance to talk to him because I think that that is really interesting and it would kind of make sense, you know, the, especially the way the season's going to try to get more of these young guys reps. Uh, obviously, they they need to because they're all seeing the field because that's just the way this team is built. Um, Stanford, Stanford even younger, Stanford even younger, but we'll get into that later. Um, yeah, I think that that's kind of the biggest takeaway today. A uh, couple of other notes, though, because I try to remember to get through all of the news in the first segment. Uh, first of all, Davion Taylor was invited to the Senior Bowl yesterday, which is really exciting. Obviously, the Senior Bowl is like where all of the best seniors in the country go before the draft. They have to get invited. Um, there's like a week of practices, and then a week, or and then a, a game. Uh, I know like Zach and Ryan and Brandon and Andre always go every year. It's down in Georgia and I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping I get an invite. I hadn't thought about that until right now. I want to make them bring me with, they'll definitely bring me with, um, oh, and they call themselves the Georgia boys. <sighs> it's, a, it's a little obnoxious, honestly. Okay. I'm going to think about whether I get to go with Davion Taylor to the senior bowl later for now. Let's just say that that's really exciting. We're obviously proud of him and hopefully, uh, hopefully good things happen. We know he's talented. We know he's improved this year in coverage. I I think that he could have a spot in the NFL. Um, also, uh, the, uh, buffs basketball team played their exhibition game in China against, some random Chinese team was no good. I, the Buffs won something like 101 to 40 something uh, blowout. Uh, not not much for takeaways because of the caliber of the competition. I mean, in, in the stat sheet even, like the, we didn't even get a list of names on the stat sheet. The stat sheet printout was just like, like four of the guys actually had their names on there. One guy was listed as like number 25 red shoes or something like that. I tried to pull it up um, so I could give you exact examples, but it, that that was pretty much it. Like that's the caliber of the team they played, some Chinese, whatever. Um, can't take too much away. Obviously, they did what you would hope that they would do. Um, one note, they shot nine of 29 from three. Uh, Evan Batty was two of two. He was obviously the best three point shooter. And outside of that, things were ugly. And that's been one of the issues that the buffs have faced, uh, particularly last year. And that's something that they are trying to fix bringing in Maddox Daniels, um, three point shooting. That's obviously something that 
It's not like you just have Dallas Walton in the post and he's seven feet tall, so he's going to be able to beat up all these little guys he's playing against when you're playing an exhibition game. Either you make those long shots in their opener, you don't, and they didn't make them. Uh, little concerning, still early. Also remember, they are traveling to China, which might throw off the shooters a little bit. Uh, I know it would throw me off, so there's that. Um, also, and maybe we'll dig into this later, um, We'll dig into this later, but Colorado passed sports betting today. Uh, so I th- believe in like March or May, sometime next spring, it's actually going to be legal to bet on sports in Colorado, which means like the three casinos here, I think like Blackhawk. I don't understand that stuff. I still haven't been up there. I need to get up there. Sometime in the off season, probably. I'll go do a bunch of gambling. But they're going to be allowed to host sports bets, have a sports book in their casinos up there, and then also they can contract through apps like FanDuel, uh, DraftKings, whatever, uh, to, to let anybody inside the state gamble on sports um, through them, through that app. So that's exciting. Uh, I, I kind of want to talk about that more later. We'll see if there's time at some point to talk more about that because I do think it's interesting because it was a really close vote, which surprises me. Um, we'll dig in later, but for now, I should probably tell you about Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, Breckenridge Brewery is incredible. Uh, like I said, I went out to the Nuggets game last night, saw them beat, uh, who they even beat Miami, the best defense in the league so far this season. And the, the Nuggets just worked them. Would not have had nearly as much fun if not for Breckenridge Brewery and the beers that they create and then share with us. Um, I had the Avalanche yesterday. Very good beer. It's a classic beer. A lot of people were actually drinking them at the game. There's actually there's like a Breckenridge Brewery bar. They, they partner a lot with the Pepsi Center, I guess, because they're just everywhere inside there. Um, and we love to see that. Uh, so, yeah. The Nuggets trust them to be their beer, so we trust them the same to do that because uh, it's good stuff. And hopefully you support them because they support us and you support us and we could just finish off that triangle if you guys are drinking their beers. Um, So yeah, uh, check them out. If you don't know where to go, they're in 36 states, so wherever you're listening from, you can find them near you. Use the beer locator on their website and you can pick out the... Avalanche, a Strawberry Sky, Colorado Core, Hollidale, which is very good. And I still have a bunch in my fridge from when I stocked up. And uh, definitely check those all out. Definitely check them all out. Uh, also, would like to tell you about the uh, Denver Rubber Company because they are your best option for local rubber. Uh, they started in 1972, obviously, in Denver, Denver Rubber Company. That's why it's called that. And, uh, They've created a name for themselves to be just like a great, reliable local partner. Uh, whether you, it's like a small art order, large order, anything, they can get it figured out. They can create custom die cut gaskets, molded rubber, custom contract manufacturing, custom hoses. Uh, they offer innovative solutions to serve a diverse line of industries. They can work on aerospace, pharmaceuticals, construction, um, medicine, military, uh, electronics, so many things. That's an ISO certified company. They'll work with you from design to final product. It'll be cost effective and it's going to meet your requirements. If you're in need of custom design or material selection for your project, or if you just have a deadline to make for a large order, 
Do not hesitate to call Denver Rubber Company. Call them today at 1-800-259-0010, or you can visit them at drcfirst.com, and then they'll know that we sent you. Okay, uh, so that is that. Uh, next up on the docket is talking about the Stanford team. Uh, so today, I, I, I kind of want to talk more about the broad stuff, and we'll dig into the particulars tomorrow, uh, dig into the players. You know, KJ Costello's back playing football, the quarterback, but uh, we'll go through like the strengths and weaknesses of individuals later on in the week. For now, I mostly just want to kind of talk about where this Stanford football program is at. And it's led by uh, Bradford M. Freeman, director of football, David Shaw. That's his actual title. He is not the head coach. He's not like the head football coach at Stanford. He is the Bradford M. Freeman, director of football, because that's what schools like Stanford do. They come up with a pretentious title, like director of football, and then they get somebody to spend a lot of money to have it named after them. And that's how you end up not being a football coach, you are the Bradford M. Freeman, director of football. Um, as uh, goofy as that title is, and as long as it is, David Shaw has totally earned it. He has been with that program for so long, and it's it's just weird to see like Stanford having a down year like this, and nobody thinks that David Shaw could be on his way out. You know, like he is Stanford football. Uh, he. Uh, he took over when Jim Harbaugh left. So he was the offensive coordinator, actually, when Jim Harbaugh was there. Started in 2007. And then 2010, when Harbaugh took, uh, let's see, Jim is, Jim's the Michigan one. That's right. Uh, he, that must have been right when he went to the NFL. That's right. Yeah, so he went to the NFL, uh, went to a Super Bowl. Did he win that Super Bowl? Jim was 49ers, so no, he did not. I wish that I feel like I could separate Jim and John Harbaugh a little bit more easily if they didn't both have J names and kind of look the same. But yeah, so so that's what happened there. Uh, David Shaw took over in 2010 as head coach. Obviously, he's been with the program for forever, and uh, he's he's built a monster. Um, it's kind of fallen off recently, but overall, still one of the top. I mean. <laughs> top everything you know he's a four-time Pac-12 coach of the year um I think he won a national coach of the year award he's won a few Pac-12 uh titles while he was there uh he's also won uh five yeah five North Division uh Pac-12 titles and the last couple years have been rougher they haven't been quite as strong for Stanford but he is still totally safe because he's him he is Stanford football and they still play his brand of Stanford football which is tight ends and running the ball and uh, defense and the big guys up front. You know, it's that classic brand of football, something that I think that Mel Tucker is trying to bring in. You know, we talk a lot about how Mario Cristobal kind of led this SEC revolution in the Pac-12, you know, coming in, building up the lines, doing all the things that SEC schools, SEC schools do. Uh, and I think it's just so clear that that's what he's doing, that that's why he gets credit for it. But Stanford was winning Pac-12 titles doing that exact same thing long before then. Um, but it's just because he didn't come from the SEC. He came from the NFL um, that that he'd lost some of that, you know, it's, it's, it's not an SEC brand of football. It's just really good NFL pro-style football. Um, 
and and he kind of started that transition. I think that in Mel Tucker's mind, Stanford might be what he's trying to build. I think Stanford or Oregon, we talked about definitely in that same similar model of football, you know, playing with tight ends, playing with big running backs, bruising running backs, running backs who can break tackles. And, and Stanford has one of those for sure. And they have good tight ends as well. And we'll dig into those in the future. But I, I think that this is another team that Mel is trying to build around. And, and I would love to have like an honest conversation with him and ask him, you know, when you're out there playing these teams that are teams that are very similar to what you want, do you, do you try to like take some notes while you're out there? Are you out there trying to like learn from them as much as you're trying to coach your own team? And, and of course he's going to say, no, no, I'm out there trying to win a football game, you know, whatever. But, uh, but I do think that there might be some of that to this situation. Like I said, though, uh, getting back to the point, what's going to happen in the game on Saturday? Um, this Stanford team isn't what it was a few years ago. And that's for a bunch of different reasons. You know, they're 4-4 four and four right now. They're 3-3 three and three in Pac-12 play. Um, and, and compare that to, so since David Shaw took over, before this season, he was 82-26 and 26 at Stanford which is pretty good. Uh, there's been injuries. There's just a lack of depth. I mean, where do you even start? Here's one. Um, 15 true freshmen have appeared in a game for Stanford this season. 15 kids who were playing high school football a year ago. Uh, I, I believe they've started... There, oh, 16 different cardinal or 16. Oh, they say 16 cardinal is how they phrase it. Um, have made their first career starts this season. Uh, they've, they've started something like eight true freshmen this season, which I believe is the most in the country. It's it's been a young squad and it's had to be. You know, they've started five different offensive line coordinate combinations, they started three different quarterback combinations, and that kind of makes it tough to evaluate what uh what this offense is you know because it just keeps changing and changing and you know putting it all together into one isn't going to give you like a a real feel for what's actually happening if that makes sense it's 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 all about you know what are the trends like the last couple of weeks and the trends are that kj costello a, a pro prospect at quarterback is back and so you have to lean on the high side on these numbers. But, you know, with that said, they're averaging 3.7 yards per carry this season. That's 11th out of uh, 12 teams in the Pac-12. And they're averaging 6.5 yards per passing attempt. Again, that's 11th. It's It hasn't been a good offense, but there's so much potential for it to get better. It depends on which offensive linemen play. Uh, depends on... I mean, we know KJ Costello's playing. He came back last week from injury you just don't know what you're going to get defensively the numbers are better I mean pretty much they're just an average football team an average defense again there's a lot of youth back there but the 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 knocks on this defense are knocks that I feel good about for Colorado uh let's let's start with the red zone defense 68 percent of the time when an opponent gets into the red zone they score a touchdown 
That is the second worst in the Pac-12. Uh, the Buffs have struggled in the red zone. They've struggled putting up touchdowns. They've struggled putting up field goals even. And they need to turn that around. They need to start scoring when they're giving themselves those opportunities. Stanford's a team that could give them opportunities. This is like a weakness-on-weakness weakness battle right here, but it could be an important one in the game to see who can who can flip the narrative. Uh, who is worse, the, the Stanford red zone defense or the Colorado red zone offense? And it's going to be important. They do have uh, Paulson Adebo who has come on recently. I think he has something like, does he have two interceptions the last three games? He's uh, one of the best cornerbacks in the country, I think. Um, a lot of people have him falling this year. They say he aren't, isn't as good, but that can sometimes happen to football players, especially cornerbacks, when things are they're, they're tight. You know, you, you, give up, you give up zero touchdowns one season. It takes two mistakes to make this a significantly worse season. Uh, but he has come on recently. You know, he's a junior this year. He was an All-American as a, as a sophomore last year. And then last week against, um, let's see, it was against Arizona they played last week. He picked off two passes. The week before, he picked off one pass. Uh, the week before that, he broke up four passes. He's done a lot of things for this team. It hasn't been until these last couple of weeks that he's really gotten the credit he gets. He, he deserves in the stat sheet for what he does. Obviously, if LaVisca Chenault plays, that's your matchup. That's uh, Paulson Adebo on LaVisca Chenault all game. And honestly, I think that that's going to be the toughest matchup that LaVisca sees this season. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that's the case. Who knows what LaVisca's status is? We haven't heard anything. He isn't listed on the injury report. I, I don't know. I, I know nothing. I feel like I know less about LaVisca Chenault's status than I have in months. Um, total toss-up to me whether he's a big contributor or whether he does what he did last week and sees almost no time on the field. Uh, I really don't like not knowing. Um, but yeah. It, that's that's something that the Buffs kind of need to have because that kind of takes Paulson and Debo out of the game. You know, those two would just neutralize each other. They would just, you know, balance out. Uh, if if all of a sudden you put Adebo on Tony Brown, put their number two on Katie Nixon, you aren't feeling quite as good about this offense. You, you want, the, the same way that, uh, if things were reversed, then Stanford would want Adebo to play so that they can neutralize LaVisca Chenault. I don't know. It's it's going to be a battle if it happens. I hope it happens. It'd be one of the most fun, honestly, wide receiver cornerback matchups in the country this season, especially if LaVisca's at full strength. But who knows if we're actually going to get it. Um, so yeah, uh, I, that's pretty much Adebo. He has the... What is it? I think he has four interceptions this year. Yeah, he has four, matching the four from last year. Um, he's a good football player. He's somebody the Buffs are going to have to watch out for and a game changer. Uh, worth noting, the reason I want to get onto this topic is that the, uh, the, the Stanford defense has struggled forcing turnovers. That's part of the reason for the poor red zone defense rate, just, just because... That's one of the easiest ways to get a stop, especially in those tight spaces, is you just pick off a pass. You force a fumble. Um, they aren't getting those. Debo's kind of going off. 
and he has in the last couple of weeks, and that's something that could help them in that regard. We'll see if that happens on Saturday. Uh, I think that that's a good start. I think that's a good start on Stanford football, and we're definitely going to talk more about them this week, but I do want to get to the comments. I want to get into more of the sports betting stuff, and we'll do both of those things after we talk about Strava Craft Coffee. Uh, Strava Craft is a CBD-enriched coffee that is changing lives. It It's not psychoactive. That's THC, not CBD, but it does so many great things for you. It can fix IBS. It can fix back pain, anxiety, uh, all sorts of stuff. People have found that Strava Craft Coffee has helped them out and that's why we wanted to partner with them so that we could pass that on so that you guys would check it out and then you trust us more. Uh, that's how we pick all of our partners. Uh, it, it's it's a good coffee. It's a great value, especially if you buy it with the code BSN2019. You can get 20% off and uh, they'll ship it straight to your door, which just makes it even better. So check it out. Whether you want to try CBD, whether you use CBD and want to try it in a different form, or whether you aren't really caring about CBD at all and just want cheap coffee, you can get 20% off with the code BSN2019, and you don't even have to work to uh, get it. They ship it right to you. Okay. Uh, time to get into the questions the comment section from yesterday's show and i don't want to spend too long on all of this just because i do think that it is mostly antonio alfano stuff and we've we've gotten that covered okay sunny rain chimes in regarding alfano what i see is a guy who quit on a program that was going to bring him massive weekly exposure a team that's on autopilot for the playoff every season a place where his supposed dominance would get the most hype, top-flight coaching, and likely lock him in safely as an early-round NFL prospect. All the things that a kid wants when they choose a school like Alabama. And what did he do? He chose to transfer to Clemson. Oh, wait, no, Ohio State. Oh, wait, no, LSU. Oh, wait, none of these top-tier programs. Say what you will, but clearly Alfano decided he'd rather deal with a small pond with smaller fish over a big one with a lot of bigger fish. You can take that, however, but clearly he doesn't want any part of those types of football programs at this point, and that most definitely doesn't scream Godzilla to me. Yeah, I mean, a lot of things play into all these decisions. Uh, I mean, of course there are going to be reasons to think that you would want to go to one of those big schools. Um, I personally think that that's probably your best bet, even if it means you're not going to see the field quite as much early on, which, I mean, Alfano dressed for two games, we were talking about today, Adam Munstertiger, Brian Howell, Justin Guerrero, uh, everybody else, Guerrero, there we go, uh, who covers the team on a daily basis and is out there with us. Um, and and just laughing at people saying, you know, he couldn't even crack the two deep and he's this highly rated. It's, it's too much. Like, it's, it's the Alabama two deep. Like, sure, he's a five-star, but guess what? The guy in front of him is a five-star too. And for me, I think that, I would still want, I, I think that there are a lot of positives to sticking it out and saying, you know what? I'm not going to play much my first year. I'm not going to play my first year. I'm a, I'm going to rotate in my second year. Maybe I'm a starter my third year, my fourth year, who knows? But that's kind of the Alabama model because they just have so many of those guys that they filter through. Um, I think that that could definitely help with longevity, um, especially at a place where Alabama, where, uh, NFL talent evaluators just accept that that's the process. You know, if he couldn't get on the field somewhere else, then they'd be concerned. 
If he only had one year of production somewhere else, they'd be concerned. But because it's Alabama and it's just so established that they have that type of talent and that everybody has to rotate through, everybody has to wait their turn, all of those side concerns just go out the window. So even if he isn't ready until the third year and that's why he isn't playing, um, it still just looks like he's waiting and biding his time. There are a lot of reasons to... Th- Again, his health too. Not putting three years, four years of tread on his tires, instead just showing up for one season, two seasons, whatever it, it may be, that that just helps you down the road. And I think that those are there are a bunch of reasons to stick with a school like Alabama, a school like Clemson. On the other hand, maybe he wants to play football and doesn't want to have to wait to until it's like his turn. He's he's the best five star that they have he's because i don't know i don't know um i can see a bunch of reasons to choose anywhere i think that having mel tucker here absolutely helped obviously mel recruited him uh to georgia failed obviously uh but uh, this is a complex issue and a lot of things play into it. And it could be that, yeah, he just isn't good enough to to land in Alabama. He isn't going to be a star at Alabama. He's going to look like just another guy. Um, or it could be because he just thinks that Boulder's a cool place and wants to spend more time here. And as an 18-year-old, that's more important to him. You know, there's, there's so many different ways that all of this could pan out. He might not just be thinking about what is best for my NFL career. What is going to get me drafted? It could be, I like Mel. I like the way he runs this program. It fits me. And also, I think Boulder is a cool spot, and I want to live in Boulder. Uh, I think that there are a bunch of people coming in here who uh, will make this a winning program. Maybe not make it in Alabama in a few years. That'd be a stretch. But, you know, make it a a contender for a Pac-12 title. I don't know. There's there's a lot that goes into it. Um the 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 best thing you can probably be is a four-year star at Alabama, and he just took that off the table for himself. But there's still plenty left on the table, and uh, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. You know, Antonio Alfano, he, he might just like being a guy who gets more attention from the coaches because you know that the coaches are going to be spending as much time getting him in shape, getting him to be the best he can be as they can because they know he's their team for the next four years. Whereas Alabama, just another guy. I mean, again, he was their number one recruit, but there are a lot of good football players at Alabama. Maybe he wants more individual attention. Maybe maybe he thinks that you know Jimmy Brumbaugh is somebody who will just focus on him so much that he'll become a better football player just because he's getting that sort of attention instead of fighting for it with Alabama's defensive line coach, you know? A, a lot a lot of things have to play out. Uh, you, there's another comment, too. Uh, another comment from Sonny Rain that says, The best thing that comes out of this transfer is that Mel Tucker in this program is in the news, and once again, Mel Tucker is a boss recruiter. No matter how things play out for Alfano, Players are undoubtedly talking about Mel and CU. Uh, then he gets into basketball. We'll get into that later. Um, yeah, that's a very clear, tangible benefit that we know that the Buffs are getting. Does Alfano bail before the season? Could happen. Wouldn't be a huge surprise. Um, it would be a surprise, though. I do want to say that would be a surprise. I think he's going to stick around. I, I really do. And I think that he's going to be a big part of this football team. But... 
you know that all of a sudden you're getting that attention because they bring them in. You know, I was listening to Altitude Radio. I rarely do that, but I, I kind of caught up on all the podcasts. Uh, the Avs are losing, and so I didn't want to listen to the DNVR Avs podcast because that would just make me sad. Uh, I've listened to a bunch of Nuggets podcasts recently, so I was like, okay, I'm just going to take a break. And uh, obviously, Broncos, it's a great podcast, but it's also the bye week for a bad football team. I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this opportunity to... Uh, oh, I forgot about the Rams. CSU. Whew. Uh, obviously, no. Um but I was like, okay, I'm driving up to Boulder. Might as well see what's going on. Uh, what is, what's, what's the story from people who aren't my people? And Altitude was talking about Mel Tucker bringing in Antonio Alfano. And it wasn't a long time they talked about it. But it's good to get that kind of attention. It's good to get that kind of attention locally. It's good to get it nationally, which they're also doing. Uh, Mel's, Mel's everywhere. Mel has a great reputation with... A bunch of the media, pretty much any media he talks to, you know, it seems like every week before the game, uh, after whoever's broadcasting the game uh, has their sit down with Mel to talk about what's going to happen, how they see all that kind of stuff. They end up sending a tweet saying, wow, Colorado is in great hands. Mel Tucker is going to turn this thing around. He's going to turn them into contenders. And that's so exciting. Um, and I think they're right. And this is obviously the biggest win in that path because recruits are going to see it. Recruits are going to love it. And there are going to be a lot of recruits in Boulder on Saturday. Uh, and also he's, he's maybe the best football player to ever walk. Th- okay. Maybe not ever to walk through those doors, but you know, since things took a turn 15, 20 years ago, however long ago it was, th- is, has anybody more talented walked into the, that facility and there are arguments to be made. I mean, there's one on the team right now, LaVisca Chenault, who you could say is more talented, but this is right, right up there in that regard. Um, and we'll see how it plays out. Also says Henry as the basketball season begins. I have to say, I remain cautiously optimistic. I can't get too hyped because I can't handle it. If things don't go as I would have hoped my hopeful ex- expectation is a PAC 12 title and at least one tourney win. If we can get that, I'll be golden. Let's see if they can pull it off. The last time we were thought to be this good, it didn't quite pan out. Um, I would tell you to be more hopeful. Uh, I don't. I I don't want to. Just sports are meant to be bought into. You know, it, it's it sucks when it hurts when your team loses, but it's supposed to suck, and that's just going to make it feel even better when they win. I would buy all the way in to any team you can uh, or any any team you actually kind of care about, you know, because it just makes everything a lot easier. This Buffs basketball team, I, th- I think that that's a good expectation. Um, the one tourney win is a good expectation of in particular. They, they should be... They should be uh, the the favorite in whatever matchup they pull. Assuming they get in, you know, there's no guarantee. It's it's looking good, though. Um, you know, they might not win the Pac-12 title, but unlike the Big Sky Conference, which I cover, you don't have to to get into that tournament. And also, there's a good chance they could just draw whoever wins the Big Sky. Um, no, they wouldn't. Big Sky team would be worse. But that's the point, is that if they get in, they should be the better team, in at least in that first-round matchup. And... Um, so I think that that as an expectation, I think that that's one, they get it. You say, yeah, you should probably do that. They don't get it. You're disappointed. Pac-12 title, like you said, that's a hopeful expectation. Um, 
I think that there are what two, three, four teams. Let's let's call it three, maybe three and a half teams that have about the same odds, in my opinion, of winning the Pac-12 title. I and mean, what does that mean? It's like a one and three, one and four shot. Thirty percent, we'll call it that the Buffs win. Um, I don't know if that's a fair expectation. I think expectation has to be like sixty percent, seventy percent, like maybe more. Maybe maybe it's seventy five. Where, where you're just saying, you know what, you are supposed to be this good, so be this good. Um, I don't know if the Buffs are supposed to be Pac-12 title good. They're they're right in the mix for sure. They should be definitely competing for the Pac-12 title. If they aren't, if if, if they're a team that nobody's really expecting to win when it comes to tournament time, Pac-12 tournament time, then you should be disappointed for sure. Um, making that the expectation. I think it's a better goal than expectation is how I'm going to say it. Um, and then in the NCAA tournament, I think I think one win is a good expectation. Two wins is a good goal. And uh, anything beyond that, you just never know who's going to win those games. I think the Buffs are going to have a good shot against any anybody who isn't one of the five to maybe 10 best teams just because I do think that that gap kind of does exist but still you never know you never know at all um Kansas is going to be a massive barometer and that's only what a a month is that a month from today I think it is a month from today a month from Wednesday um that they play Kansas at Kansas um We'll see. We'll see what happens there. Of course, they do play Arizona State Friday night. Uh, I think I said Arizona State. That's what I meant to say, at least. Um, at 9.30, and we'll be bought in. That's going to be a fun one. Before we get out of here, I do want to talk a little bit more about the betting thing because that's big news. Um, I don't I don't see why the vote was close. A lot of people are saying it's because of the way it was worded. And I think that's fair. It did start like with saying we shall raise a tax or something like that. And that obviously scares people away immediately when they see tax. Um, but it was kind of, it was a bipartisan thing. Democrats liked it. Republicans liked it. Um, they worked together to word it properly so that it would get passed. Um, wasn't contentious. Really nobody, none of the big political groups like tried to tried to stop it. I think there was one clean water group that didn't like that the money to fix the water was coming from betters instead of like the oil industry maybe or I think they might have just said polluters in general. We don't have to dig into all that. Um but I do think there's a reason they were the only ones who were super upset about it. Um but yeah, it came down to the wire but it's strange. And I think that part of the reason that it was close is that there are some misconceptions. Um, it's kind of tough to draw comparisons. So, so how it works basically is that there's a 10% on a 10% tax on casino profits from betters. So if, uh, a, a better loses, then 10% of that, um, goes to the government. And I think it might even cancel out with the money that the casino loses. It might just be straight up profits from betting. And so, you know, we were talking about this morning, trying to figure out how it worked. And and when you hear 10% tax on betting, 
then all of a sudden you think like, well, the odds are way outside of your favor if those are moving the lines that way. Um, but when it turns out to just be the net, all of a sudden that isn't that bad. Um, the, uh, the, the, the one, one, one misconception is that, you know, it's going to just having that it's basically taxing people because people are going to have to end up paying the tax. That's where the money comes from. But you have to remember that the, the, the sports books are going to be setting the lines based on how they can gain the most profit. They aren't all of a sudden going to be moving the lines just because they need to get more money because that's not how it works. It's the same thing that you hear about with tickets. You know, um, the Rockies built up the the uh, party deck however many years ago and people are upset and it's like, why are you're, we're going to have to pay more money for tickets? Or oftentimes it's owners that say, we need you to pay more money to us so that we can fund this or to fund player contracts because we need this money to do something else. And so sorry, but we have to raise ticket prices. Um, but that's not how it works. Here comes the econ major coming through. But but it, what happens is they set the prices based on what will maximize the profits, what will maximize the total number or total amount of money they bring in. So that's just tickets times the price of tickets. And that doesn't change based on how much money they're spending. Whether they give $20 million to Ian Desmond or not doesn't affect what ticket price ends up bringing in the most money. Um, and, and it's that common misconception that sports teams use all the time to justify raising ticket prices because it sounds better than saying, well, we know that you guys are willing to pay more. And so we're going to charge more because we know that we're just going to make more money if we do it. Um, and some of that kind of comes into the play with the betting thing where if for this to be successful, the tax has to be low enough that, um, casinos can still offer decent lines. I mean, they're taxing the profits, which, which is the crazy part. It's not affecting the lines at all because they're, they're, they're just trying to get that number as big as they can. And they're going to get taxed out of it no matter what, but there isn't amount, an amount of money where all of a sudden, um, they, they want that to be as big as they can because the more money that they make, the more money they keep. It, it, there, there's a little piece that comes off of every dollar, that 10% off every dollar, but they still get 90 cents for every dollar they bring in. And so they're still trying to bring in as much money as they can. It shouldn't affect the lines at all. Um, that's my little rant. That's my little rant from seeing people on Twitter say things that don't make sense. Um, so yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, I'm excited. I'm somebody who's never bet on sports sketchy using overseas stuff. Um, I've thought about getting into it. I have friends who have bookies and they just like Venmo and text all their stuff and keep track of it. And obviously there's no tax on that. And so maybe that means that there's more money go around. They might get whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but we'll see how all of it plays out. They have to keep those numbers in line so that people are incentivized to use it. Hopefully that wasn't just me talking in circles, but yeah, I mean, based on the the simple economics, like building a party deck, the only way that that affects prices is that there are now fewer seats, except that they still sell seats. Let's, let's just say that all of a sudden, instead of 50,000, they have 40,000 seats. And that means that if we just call every ticket or 
yeah, let's just call every ticket the same price because the concept still works. But if, uh, if you could get 50,000 people to pay $10 for a ticket, then you could probably get 40,000 people who are willing to pay $11 per ticket. So you could raise that price and cut it out the 10,000 people who are just barely willing to pay that much for a ticket per game. Like that kind of makes sense. Um, in terms of contracts, the only way you can justify that, meaning the tickets should be more expensive, is that, oh, look, you, you signed... Uh, who's even a good baseball player? Um, you signed uh, Bryce Harper. He was a big one. So you signed Bryce Harper, and so now people are more willing to pay to go to your games because they want to see the team more because Bryce Harper is on the team. And so all of a sudden, everybody's willing to pay a dollar more, so they raise the price $1. It doesn't actually... Uh, yeah, there we go. There's the economic concept. The same thing holds true for sports betting. If they're just taking 10% of the total profits, then the the casino is still just trying to maximize those profits. No matter what, they're setting those lines wherever they think they can get the most people to bet and still lose money. You know, they're, they're giving the best odds that they can. That's, that's how it works. Um, the money isn't... Okay, that's enough. That's enough. We're going to get out of here. I'll be back here tomorrow. I think we're actually doing the draft pod tomorrow. So if you guys like those, you're going to like tomorrow too. Uh, It should be a lot of fun. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in college football. First college football playoff. We didn't even talk about the first college football playoff. Uh, Quick thoughts. So much better than the normal rankings. There is no reason for Clemson to be in the playoff right now. Them being on the outside just makes so much sense. Uh, the the order at the top, LSU and Ohio State up at the the top two spots. I forget the order. I think it is LSU one, isn't it? it? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The point is they're giving the best teams the best spots. They aren't worried about who is a blue blood, who was in the championship last year, who has the history, who has the coach. They're saying we watched you play football this season, and we think that you're the best team, and so you're getting the votes. And that's the way it should be. And that's the way the college football playoff is. And the media polls and the coaches polls are not. And uh, thank goodness we can stop paying attention to those other polls because Clemson is not as good as these other teams. Sure, they're undefeated, but who did they beat? Who did they beat? Nobody. Who's their best win, honestly? Like Texas A&M? I don't know. We we are actually getting out of here. Um, we're going to have to dig into this tomorrow. I'm sure me and Andre will. He's going to have a lot of thoughts. I know I have a lot of thoughts. And we've only scratched the tip of the iceberg with uh, the last two minutes of talking about it. Okay. Uh, see you on Thursday. If you only listen to the Buffs pod, then I don't know why. But uh, then I'll see you on Friday. Uh, the day you'll, you'll remember of the first meaningful Buffs basketball game of the season. And we are so excited. And... Yeah. Talk to you soon. Bye. I think they like my Colorado sway. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. My Colorado sway. Might not sway. I think they like my Colorado sway. Patiently awaiting When I hit the field It's so hard to behave I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd Do the wave Look into my eyes I can tell that you afraid Cause you know we finna
and they hit you, hit you, hit you, hit you. Hey, hey, you on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it anytime. Yeah. It started at the scrimmage, we gon' win it at the line. Yeah. My Colorado swag in the middle of the ring. Green. Throwing blows, knocking down team after I team. They like my Colorado swag, cause when I'm in that play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to